You're listening to Turf Show Radio. With the first pick in the 2016 NFL Draft, the Los Angeles Rams select Jared Goff, quarterback, California. John Here's it up. Oh, he drops it in the bucket. Kenny Britt is gone. Touchdown. Give it to Gurley. Gurley extending to the goal line. Touchdown. Todd Gurley. That puts him at 1,000 yards on the button in his rookie season. And now, here's your host. Hello, everybody, and welcome to an all-new Turf Show Times Radio. It's your boy, Josh Webb, coming at you once again. And joined, as always, by my partner in crime, Mr. Mycin, the Deosaur. Mycin, how you doing, man? Man, I'm doing great. Great day. Not great weather. It was kind of rainy, but I'm doing great. <laughs> yeah, it's been kind of mixed weather. It's It's been a great day for me. I've been reading comics all day, you know, for my other job. <laughs> so I'm, I'm totally okay with that. But uh, I know you are. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's just it's nothing but comics. Like, and I get to call football on comics, and I get to call it work. It's America, you know. Living a dream. But, <laughs> enough, of, enough of that, Jazz. Uh, man, do we have an awesome episode today. We are going to be talking NFL Draft with Justice Mosqueda, uh, who is currently working on the NFL 1000 project for Bleacher Report. Uh, and uh, Justice, pardon me, I, I will let you list off the, the, the number of different outlets where you contribute and where your work can be found. All right, yeah, right now, right now I'm not doing that much. Uh, I'm doing the NFL 1000 project on Future Report. Uh, we're doing NFL draft previews, basically going like team by team, position by position. Just kind of ranking guys, like kind of status of the franchise, like one out of ten how bad they need certain positions. I grade uh, NFC defensive ends, both 3-4 and 4-3 in season. So those are the guys that I'm doing for the project. Uh, I'm doing my podcast with my co-host, Charles McDonald. Uh, you can find that at 4Verts. Um, the podcast is called uh, the Setting the Edge Podcast. You can follow that on iTunes, five-star reviews only. Please subscribe, steal your girl's phone, subscribe to that. Peer pressure works, I promise you. Uh, peer pressure is undefeated. Other than that, I mean, that's, that's pretty much it. I mean, other than that, you know, you make it <laughs> right. <laughs> make it sound like just that, you know. But well, see, the, the thing is, I'm like, there was there was a point in the summer where I was like, I was juggling, I was juggling three writing gigs while coaching doubles at the same time. So like this to like right now to me, I'm working like two like two half gigs, and this feels like a vacation. That's fair enough. I can understand that. I, I can understand and appreciate how 
even though it feels like a lot, like in all actuality, sometimes writing for like three or four gigs can actually be less work than writing for one gig. It just depends on what the writing assignments are and the level of contribution. So that makes all the kind of sense in the world. But we are going to put your ass to the grindstone today, man. We are. We, you know. You kind of set yourself up for this. Like, I was going to start out talking about your edge grades uh, and kind of roll through some of that. And we'll get there in a second because I do want to talk about those on this podcast at some point. But you mentioned uh, going through the teams, looking at their needs, giving them a grade. Uh, If I were just to ask about the Rams, I would be told what? Uh, I can tell you specifically for for pass rushers, uh, Connor Barwin helped you guys a lot because I don't know who the hell was going to start opposite of Robert Quinn um, because Ethan Westbrooks has that issue, right? Ethan Westbrook, I don't even think he's been tagged yet, right? And then you guys got rid of you know two of your top four pass rushers in that group, and I don't think Aaron Donald or Dominic Easley were going to kick out to you know a stand up position. I know people. Uh, I think it was the Pittsburgh Steelers worked out Aaron Donald as a linebacker at his pro day, uh, but I don't think you guys are really trying to play him at an outside linebacker. So getting Connor Barwin and just kind of like plugging that gap, I think that helps you guys a lot. Uh, just elsewhere in the offense, I mean, I I think you guys can improve at receiver, but you guys just handed you know Robert Woods and Tavon Austin all that money, so I think that's kind of unrealistic to assume that you guys are going to address that need high when you guys already don't have a first-round pick. Uh, it's, it's center's kind not- of uh, – apparently unrealistic according to the people that we've talked to lately including benjamin albright and uh who who do, who do we have last week thing or uh matt Harmon. matt like, Harmon. yeah matt oh. Harmon actually sold us pretty good on a receiver potentially so but we can come back to that uh uh but c- carry on carry on i was just gonna say center looks like a big need at this point i mean there's just a like I don't know who the hell is going to start there. So uh, you guys can plug and play that. But, I mean, really, outside of J.C. Treader, no center's really signed. So this this market's kind of open. So I guess, like, if L.A. kind of wants to play the waiting game, like, there's guys on the open market who are starting level centers, even if they are just kind of like one-year stop gaps, two-year stop gaps. So I guess you guys could address that need, you know, in free agency, not even necessarily in the draft. Now, no, it's- when you – when you look at the final grade, I wanted to ask about like the final grade of an overall project like the Rams. Like if there's a lot of pieces that that just got let go in 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 recent years, you know, you look at Janoris Jenkins who obviously isn't suffering in New York, Rodney McLeod, um, among others, uh, you know, Chris Long went on to win a Super Bowl with the Patriots. I'm, Sure, he is an eight in life. Uh, they've let a lot of talent go, but it's understandable why they did. What do you think? What do you think right now? Because we talked with Matt about this, and and after the question, circle back to me because we tend to do two questions, two questions, two questions. Uh, I'll get to this, but there's been a school of thought that suggests. Wade Phillips is going to have more control in this draft than people might originally believe. 
that's why he agreed to become the defensive coordinator is because he was going to have the ability to address, pardon that, my, as my husky apparently dying in the background, um, but that he would have the ability to address his defense. And one of the most pressing needs is, is, is our stand-up pass rushers, guys that can get after it on the edge. I mean, Connor Barwin is a great addition, but he's also a question mark as well. So from, from where you sit, what do you think is the most pressing need for the Los Angeles Rams? Which position stands out the most to you as they need to address this? I think, I think, it, I think it's center, but I don't think center is the hardest position to address, to address, you know what I mean? And I think that has to come into, you know, which position you're going to address first in the draft. I think if you look, if, if this team really is trying to model itself after the Denver Broncos, the Denver Broncos had pass rushers and Vaughn Miller, uh, DeMarcus Ware, right? Shane Ray was a first-round pick who sat on the bench for two years. And then uh, Shaquille Barrett is one of, probably one of the most underrated pass rushers in the NFL. He's a guy who probably could compete for a starting job on other teams, and he's the fourth pass rusher in Denver. You look at their defensive backs, they have a keep to leave at corner, Chris Harris at corner, and then Bradley Roby's kind of playing that like hybrid safety slot role, right? So I think if you're looking at, you know, if they're trying to mold themselves after that, I mean, Los Angeles is a couple pass rushers and corners away from, you know, being able to do what they were doing, which is basically just play man-to-man and then just like have really exotic man, uh, like really exotic blitzes up front. You know, it's funny that you, it's funny that you could even mention, um, Aaron Donald <laughs> being an outside linebacker, and it just kind of shows how much of a freak he really is. But um, I, I would agree that if you're if they're trying to mimic the uh, what the Broncos had, then they are a few pass rushers and corners away. But that's kind of the issue as well. You know, when you're a few away for pass rushers and corners, then you're pretty far away. You know, you're not one player away or anything like that. So if they were to go into this draft considering that that's so that, that those are positions they haven't really gone at in free agency or, you know, they didn't really go in in free agency when the wave hit, they did bring in Connor Baldwin, they did bring in Kayvon Webster, but realistically, I don't think anyone's expecting Connor Baldwin to be the premier pass rusher on that, on that side for the next five or six, seven years, you know, uh, especially being 32 years old and uh, Kayvon Webster. I just don't think that, very many people are looking at him as the uh, the next star corner. <laughs> so I think that it's still a position that they might that they probably will address. Those are positions they will address. But who would be players that they that they should be looking at if they were to address it? Yeah. See, so that that's interesting to me because there are two teams. There are really like three teams that play a lot of man coverage in the NFL, but they play it in a different way. So like Buffalo, right? Uh, the New York Jets under Todd Bowles. And then the Arizona Cardinals. All three of those teams send a lot of inside blitzes, though. They're not like really stunt, like they stunt, but they don't stunt with outside linebackers. They send a lot of inside pressure. Um, but like those defenses, I mean, you go as your number one corner goes. Like when Patrick Peterson has an off year in Arizona, right? Look at what that defense looks like. When last year, right? Uh, the New York Jets with Daryl Revis, when Daryl Revis falls off, that's that. So you have to have a premier cornerback. Um, I'm trying to think. So I, I would say, like, as far as, like, man-to-man cornerbacks, guys that I love, uh, at the top of the draft it would be, like, Marshawn Lattimore, Gary and Conley, and uh, Tredavious White. But you guys are going to be in a position to draft any of those guys other than maybe Tredavious White if he ends up slipping a little bit. I think some other guys that could be interesting are, like, 
uh, Akilo Witherspoon from uh, Colorado. He's really long, pretty athletic. Fabian Moreau is kind of the same type of situation out in UCLA. I think he has a pec injury right now. Um, he, for some reason, wasn't invited to the Senior Bowl and wasn't even called up uh, when he had an injury. When uh, there were injuries to the cornerback position when I was down there, but he was invited to the East West Shrine Game. Kind of had a standout week. Uh, people started considering him as a borderline first round pick. After that, I think a guy like Marlon Humphrey can kind of slide a little bit. Um, like he's kind of weird in the way that like he tests out athletically, but when you watch him and he's also a very young player, but uh, that that's a guy who to me is more of like a second corner than like a number one corner. Uh, and he's like average number two corner in my opinion uh, with that in mind. I think a, a really underrated guy that is not being talked about enough is Cameron Sutton from Tennessee. Um, he's a guy who really showed out. He really only had two games against Virginia tech and Appalachian state before he ended up getting injured, but he's a guy who tested well, you know, his film kind of backs it up. He was a guy who was considered uh, kind of like, a, you know, coming out of his sophomore season, he was considered as like, a, a, you know, a mock draft first-round pick, you know, coming into his junior year, and then he kind of had an off-junior year. Looked really good at the beginning of his senior year, and then, the, you know, the plug was just kind of pulled on him because of injury. Uh, but I think if, he, if he's totally recovered, and by, by all means, all these, you know, all these measurables, all these times say that, you know, he tests like an elite cornerback, uh, I, would, I would co-sign that one in the second round, no sweat. And, you know, I know you touched on it a little bit already that um, receiver probably wouldn't be <clears throat> one of the top needs that the Rams might go after, especially not having their first round pick. Um, I know that uh, today, actually, the report came out of and it was from ESPN, uh, ESPN's outing uh, Gonzalez um, saying that Les Snead kind of has been heading towards the focus is on getting um, Jared Goff more help. Now, more help can come in the sense of, like you said, offensive line with the center. I mean, they simply don't, they don't have a center on the roster right now. So I think it's a pretty, it's pretty uh, unanimously known, like everyone knows that there's going to be a center at it at some point. Um, it, it has to happen. Um, but then I, 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 w- w- is it completely out of the realm of possibility in your mind that, uh, they, that they wouldn't address the receiver or even the tight end position? Uh, it it wouldn't surprise. I I would think that with the bodies that they have, there's no reason to add a guy in like the third round, right? Like if a guy falls in, you know, if a guy falls to the second round, I think that makes sense. Um, because you could you have a meet because they have they have bodies at receiver. The problem is they don't have top end talent. You know what I mean? So I think that right. that's where that split that's where that split becomes. I think if they try to target like a day two guy, I think guys that are interesting to me, especially in that system, are um. Bucky Hodges from Virginia Tech, he was basically used as a six foot six, two hundred fifty pound wide receiver. He tests out better than uh Mike Williams. I mean he he I don't know if he's not a receiver, but you don't see receivers that size. The guy he kinda reminds me of, honestly, is a bigger version of like Doyle Green Beckham when Doyle Green Beckham was at was at Missouri and the first year in Tennessee. I mean, they just basically used Doyle Green Beckham as like a red zone specialist because they were like, You're a freak athlete and no one can match up with you in the red zone, but you, like, don't know how to play receiver yet. And Bucky Hodge is kind of just, like, they just throw kind of jump balls at him. Uh, so I wonder if I wonder if there's a role for that for this Los Angeles Rams team. And then another guy would be uh, Zay Jones out of East Carolina. So Zay Jones is kind of interesting because everyone thought he wasn't athletic because he kind of – at ECU, 
they ran a lot of screens and it was like basically the most spread offense that you could imagine. Right. Um, basically he was college football's version of Jarvis Landry and Jarvis Landry plays a role where you basically, you know, you negate speed, right? Like that's, that's been the issue with Jarvis Landry's entire career is just like speed. Um, the difference is Zay Jones is actually really athletic. The problem is the way that he was used. Uh, people assumed he wasn't He ended up going to the senior bowl, did really, really well at the senior bowl. I think, Pretty much everyone came out uh, talking about him and uh, Cooper Cup, the receiver out of uh, Eastern Washington. Zay Jones ends up going to the combine, runs a 4-4, just tests out, you know, chests like crazy. He's kind of a bigger receiver too. Um, I, I think he's a guy who kind of was misused in his offense, even though he was like the most productive receiver in college football outside of Corey Davis. Like if you include like the, you know, you, you take a snapshot of the last four years. Um, so I think, I think that's a guy who has like, number one receiver upside who wasn't used like a number one receiver. And if you're the Los Angeles Rams and you're trying to find a guy on day, you know, day two, I think that's one of the guys that you target. Yeah. And that's sort of the rub is, is what, what do the Rams need the most? You know, uh, some argue that a cornerback is, is the most pressing need. Other people argue that it's a wide receiver and I've heard the case for offensive line, though. I think a lot of that was addressed with, uh, with Whitworth signing, um, that, that solved the huge headache for the Rams. No doubt. It doesn't solve the center problem, but being able to get a guy like Whitworth as their left tackle does solve a massive problem for the Rams. Um, a guy that a lot of people keep tying with the Rams is uh, Pat Elfline out of Ohio State. Uh, is that somebody you think would would make a good fit? I don't I don't know how up to to you know date you are on your center film, but just based on your football knowledge in general and what college football you've watched and what you know about top prospects, do you think that that's a guy that would at least make sense for them? Or, or do you think there are some other prospects out there that are probably more likely to be around on day two? Yeah, so uh, I actually really like him. Uh, while you guys are like offensive linemen and centers are boring, I actually played uh, – I played center in the Tony Franklin system in high school, which is like he was Jared Goff's offensive coordinator at California. So I kind of I center was always a spot that you know I've always been fond of and kind of paid attention to. Um, Elfline is a guy; he's probably my favorite interior offensive lineman who actually played interior offensive line. Like I think Forrest Lamp is probably going to be a better guard in the NFL than he is, you know, a, a guard or center, right? But Forrest Lamp was out there playing tackle. Um, like the, he was kind of used as almost like a. I, like a featured lineman for Ohio State. Like, he was the guy who was running all the folds. He was the guy who was running all the poles, all that. You could tell that they trust him a lot. He didn't test really well, but I, you you could talk to, like, there's a lot of people who crunch a lot of metrics for, like, just general, like, regressions and things like that of, like, hey, what what drills matter for which positions for NFL success? And basically, the truth is, the closer you get to the ball, the less it matters. And there's absolutely like no correlation between athleticism at go- at center and success at the next level. So like if you're going purely off a of film, which is what those regressions would tell you, uh, he's the, he's the number one center prospect in this class. I think a guy like Dan Feeney, he ended up getting some reps at the Senior Bowl. I know that. Uh, I guess Forrest Lamp has been taking some snaps there too. Um, so those are guys that I think could be around in the, you know in the second round. Um, 
I could tell you uh, I could tell you a funny story about uh, try to like they try to convert a guard over to center. Uh, Danny Isadora, I want to say his name is the kid from Miami. He was a guard. And mm-hmm. We we went out to practice down there in Mobile, right, for the Senior Bowl. And you see four quarterbacks walk out, right? You see four quarterbacks walk out, and they're trying to do their you know their little pre-practice stuff, just warming up, throwing to each other, taking snaps, all that. Problem is, only three centers walk out. So you just see the offensive line coach just like look over at the guards and he's trying to figure out which one they're going to bring over. He brings over Danny Isadora and it's just like, that, I don't think that dude's ever snapped a ball in his life. Like it was just like the first one was just like a skyrocket. It damn near went into the stands. Second one was a bowling ball. I was like, he, he lost that job instantly. I can't remember who they moved in over day two. But that, was the, that was the first practice and it was just like, nah, cut, you're done. Like We're not going to waste time trying to do this. Um, I think Ethan Posick is kind of interesting, but he's a taller dude. Like, he's 6'6". Um, he might actually end up getting some tackle looks. If I were looking at some guys to convert to center, you know, later down the line, because truth be told, a lot of these college teams, they're not playing their best players at center. Like, it just doesn't make sense like, at the college football right. level. Where you, I mean, NFL teams, you got to have five, right? Like, college football teams, if you have one NFL pass blocker, like, he's probably in the – if, if he's 6'3 or above, like, he's, he's probably – He's your left tackle. <laughs> Yeah, he, he's your left tackle, like even if he's 6'3". Um, I think one of the guys who would be interesting would be Will Holden out of Vanderbilt. I think that guy can do everything. Um, he's kind of on the taller side, too, but he's just insanely athletic. Uh, he was he played tackle, did well at the Shrine game. He was a late-day call-up uh, the last practice for the Senior Bowl. He got some guard looks and just looked amazing. I, went, I, I didn't know who he was uh, at the time, so I ended up watching him. I think the last play of run – like the combo drills that they run where they use two offensive linemen and they go at one defensive lineman and they, they basically like you're trying to make a defensive lineman read a block, right? Um, he and Antonio Garcia of Troy uh, basically double teamed the hell out of him, pushed them like 15 yards back and ran him into, I believe it was the Cleveland Browns as a line coach and just like basically pancaked the D lineman and the, and the line coach. Um, Will Holden had one of the best days, uh, like for the actual physical senior bowl game too. Um, I went back and watched his film. I think he's pretty amazing. He had some up and downs against Charles Harris, who's probably going to end up being a first-round pass rusher. But uh, I have no issues with that. I mean, this guy tested athletically, you know, played college left tackle, uh, all that. So I, I think he's a guy kind of like J.C. Treader. I mean, J.C. Treader was a guy who played for the Packers. He was a left tackle at Cornell, kind of bounced around everywhere, was a really athletic guy. So I think, you know, if you miss out on the J.C. Treader sweepstakes, I think Will Holden might be the closest thing in this draft. I, not only did you know your center, you blew me away with knowledge of centers. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm a line baby. I'm sorry, man. This is what I paid. Hey, back. hey. Running back for me. I do not hate on it. <laughs> running back for me. <laughs> hey, you know, I'm not really a big fan of him anyway. Like, generally speaking, people miss a lot on running backs. They really hey, do. Hey, hey, hey. Okay, you guys are offending the former running back, okay? So... <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, no. but I but but <laughs> but I appreciate Justin for being a lineman. They they paved the way for the running backs. <laughs> yeah, just just feed us and we'll be fine. Feed us and we'll be fine. There you go. <laughs> so, you know, moving to the uh, maybe what you might call a more skilled position. Let's take a look at the receivers, okay? Now, we, we, we talked about this a little, and it's funny you mentioned Zay Jones because I talked about him uh, with Matt Harmon because Matt Harmon did one of his uh, reception perceptions on Zay Jones, which is actually kind of how he caught my eye. 
Um, I want to ask you what you think about the crop of receivers that are currently on the Rams because the Rams went out and they had a you know obviously it was a big money move to sign Tavon Austin to the extension that he got and then Robert Woods gets eight million a year for four years amounts to basically a thirty-two million dollar contract which. Mycin and uh, Matt Harmon also uh, both felt like he, he was kind of overpaid. But there's an argument to be made that that's just going to keep happening in today's market. If it, uh, A-plus players do not become free agents. So B-plus players get A-plus money when they hit the market uh, because they can command it. Um. So if you look at the cropper receivers that they currently have in Tavon Austin, uh, they obviously got Tyler Higby at uh, tight end, uh, and they got some young guys in Farrell Cooper, Mike Thomas, Nelson Spruce, who everybody loves but nobody's ever seen. Uh, <laughs> my son and I are kind of big fans of Mike Thomas, but I've heard right. people make an argument for Farrell Cooper in this uh in this offense where do you come down on 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 the rams current proper receivers right so i think like basically when you look at receivers i i think i think michael lombardi's kind of made this point where like you look at receivers it's almost like a basketball team right where like you got to have a forward you got to have your guards right so like i think like Tavon austin clearly fits like your slot speed receiver role, right? Like you, you usually, if you're talking about three different receivers on a team, like there's either a slot receiver, a speed receiver, then there's your possession guy, and then there's your like isolation X guy, right? I think Robert Woods is pretty clearly like the possession blocking guy, right? Davon Austin is kind of like the gadget play slot uh, speed receiver guy. The problem is the X receiver spot is probably the most important one, you know, the isolation receiver spot. And that's the guy that the Los Angeles Rams are missing. Like, if they if they could fill in a guy into that role, like if they, if you put Mike Williams, you know what I mean? Like, if you put Mike Williams or Corey Davis with the Los Angeles Rams, you know, I don't think that receiver core is an issue at all. The problem is, I think like you might have to end up playing guys out of position. Like, if if Nelson Spruce is playing in the slot, or Mike, you're trying to mold Mike Thomas into that speed receiver role, and Tavon Austin has to be your isolation receiver. I don't know how many like cornerbacks he's going to beat one on one, and I don't think Robert Woods has the athleticism to do that. You know what I mean? So I think that's the big issue there. I, I kind of, I'm not a huge fan of Farrell Cooper. Uh, I, just just from him coming out last year, right? Like I can't really speak. I, I don't think he did that much last year. Um, but I, I can tell you what he looked like coming out of the draft. Uh, Mike Thomas is kind of an athletic guy, upside, right for sure. I really did like Nelson Spruce. I thought he was going to end up hanging on the bottom of a roster, maybe making some plays every once in a while. Um, but I don't think I'm comfortable like with Farrell Cooper and Nelson Spruce or Mike Thomas, any of them being the number three receiver, but uh, that that's better than them having to be the number two, which would have been the, you know, the alternative universe. If they didn't pay Robert Woods, which by the way, like Buffalo didn't want to resign Robert Woods and they have like a huge receiver issue when he left. Like the fact that, that Buffalo didn't pay him or uh, I believe it was Marquise Goodwin. Um, that That's a huge problem for him. I think Buffalo you figure you're going to have to complete like 250 passes, right? In an NFL season, Buffalo's receivers return like 42 receptions next year. And they really have, haven't signed anyone other than Corey Brown. And I don't think Corey Brown is going to fill up anything. So um, I think their number one re- uh, returning receiver was like Sammy Watkins. He has like 24 or something like that. So 
Buffalo basically has a bear covered, and they were cool with letting Robert Woods walk. I don't know what that says. Exactly. <laughs> it kind of says some scary. So look, I, I kind of feel like. I mean, I know Marquise Lee had an okay year this year, but but I and, and this is coming from a guy who covers SC. For whatever reason, there has been a problem of USC receivers going from being the guy in college to really basically being possession receivers in the NFL. And most of them, I don't think, know how to handle that. And they tend not to transition very well. Or well, I think part of that's Lane Kiffin. Like, part, part of that was Lane Kiffin. Like, you look at how Lane Kiffin uses anyone, you know, even at Alabama when he was just feeding Derrick Henry. Like, whoever his number one player is on offense, yeah. he's just going to feed that dude forever. You know what I mean? So I think, you know, when you get three years of getting fed the ball, fed the ball, fed the ball, you can kind of, you know, I don't want to say trick NFL teams, but I mean people trick NFL teams every single, you know, every single draft in late April. Yeah, but this goes back to even before, even before Lane Kiffin was the head coach. I mean, we're talking about guys like Damian Williams and and uh, Patrick Turner and so on and so forth that were marquee guys for USC. You know, and 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 a guy I think who's had the best career overall. Uh, going back to maybe the early 2000s, it'd probably be Steve Smith. I mean... Right, yeah, Steve Smith had he, that he run was, with the Giants. He, he, was, he was critical on that drive, that final drive for the, uh, for the Giants to, to, to beat the unbeaten Patriots. Steve Smith was basically Eli Manning's outlet. I can't count. I think he caught like three or four passes on that drive and, and two or three of them were huge third down conversions. Like yeah. he was such a huge, huge part of that win uh, just on that drive. But I can't think of a USC receiver that's really left his mark in the NFL like he had in college since like Keyshawn Johnson. I know that's not right, but you know, it might be. <laughs> it might be, actually. There hasn't been a lot of success with the UFC receivers. I honestly think if Mike Williams had come, had come back for one more year instead of trying to follow Maurice Claret out, I think he could have amounted to something. But that one year off of football... I don't think I don't think these kids understand how much taking a year off. Like whenever you hear this idea of oh so and so should sit out the year, I'm like yeah that's a stupid ass idea. <laughs> well you you you, see, you you don't even have to put it with kids. I mean you see it with adults like you see Anthony Davis say I'm going to take a year off from playing offensive tackle in the NFL comes back and then quits in the off season because he's like no man I'm not ready. B J Rajay last year uh, was a no yeah. tackle for the Packers ended up retiring says I'm going to take a year off. Uh, it's been a year. <laughs> I haven't seen BJ Rogers sign with anyone. You know what I mean? Like one, yep. once you're out, that's kind of that. Yeah, you taking a year off in the NFL is tantamount to like calling it. You know, so uh, and 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 I think when you're playing at that level that Mike Williams was playing at, just that one year is just oh man, that was so stupid. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. That's just that's just old bitter grapes. Oh, bitter grapes. What you got, my sin, before I get into some listener questions? All right. So question about 
the a uh, little more about the the current roster and looking at this secondary. Um, I'm kind of the mind state that uh, the Rams should really be interested in um, looking to bring in a safety prospect. Uh, I like I like what Maurice Alexander was able to do for the Rams last year. He finished the year ranked in the uh, top twenty, I believe, for safeties. I think he finished at eighteen or something like that. Um, not just safeties, but defensive backs overall. And Lamarcus Jenner did a great job last year. Really, really took a huge step forward. I think the year before he finished at like number sixty nine or something like that, according to PFF. And last year he finished at twenty one for defensive backs. So it was a huge step forward, and he just really kind of uh, started to. Come to coming to his own in his third year, which puts him right on course for what you expect for guys making that making the transition. So I look at the secondary and I say, okay, I'm of the mindset that Lamarcus Jordan should stay. But as I mentioned, um, Alden Gonzalez uh, came out with a report today that the Rams are really focusing on uh, the receiver, uh, excuse me, not the receiver, but putting more around Jared Goff. But in doing so, the, re- the reason they feel comfortable is because they feel like, the, as far as the safety position goes, they can just move LaMarcus Joyner back, which is a position he played in college and played very well. LaMarcus Joyner was a player that I liked a lot coming out of Florida State. But I like I like what he's becoming now, and I think I'm not sure that it's a good idea to make that switch when a guy's just kind of starting to hit his stride. Um, I think that it would be probably be the best idea to bring in a guy um, through the draft that considering that this draft is so loaded with the position, uh, bringing in a guy through the draft and really throwing him in there. If that was a route that the Rams took, considering the system that Wade Phillips is bringing over from Denver, who do you think would be a good fit? Yeah. So I think the way that Wade Phillips ran that defense in, in Denver, right? Like that free safety spot kind of, that free safety spot is going to play a lot of man to the point that that guy's almost like a slot corner, right? So I think that, like, the transition for LaMarcus Joyner, you know, to a free safety role, like he was playing at Florida State. And I was a big fan of LaMarcus Joyner from that Florida State, too. Um, he's an undersized guy, but, you know, I, I was a big fan of his film. Um, I think I think that wouldn't be that much of a transition in that specific defense. The thing that I would say is if you're going to – if you're looking at defenses like that, right? So if your free safety is going to play man and he's going to be a single high type guy, right? Um, that strong safety has to be, you know, that strong safety has to be that, that Patrick Chunk. You know what I mean? Like you have to kind of have that enforcing strong safety. So if you're buying into that, I don't know if their idea is like maybe like Obi Melifonwu from like UConn or something like that or, or what's going on there, but it has to be a guy who can contribute in the run game and also play man coverage against like tight ends and running backs. No, I would definitely, I would definitely agree that you you have to have a guy that can kind of do both, uh, which is why which is why I would say that you know that would make that would make a lot of sense. Although I'm still kind of on the fence about him, you know, I really think that there's a chance that he could be the next guy that's kind of put into that Deion Buchanan, Mark Barron role where he's a that hybrid safety linebacker. But anyway, <laughs> um, so looking at the, the 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 draft, I personally think that the um, the defensive backs is the the best position or the best position group in this upcoming draft. But then uh, kind of the under the radar or probably I should probably shouldn't say under the radar radar, but for the first time in a long time, it's one it's not talked about as much, even though it's uh, pretty close to being on the same level as the defensive backs. And that's the uh, defensive line. And I know we talk about uh, pass rushers, um, but 
again, Connor Barwin being 32. Um, and then when you look at what the the way the 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 defense will be set up in the three four, even though it'll be a three four over under, um, they still probably need more bodies that can play those three four uh, those three four defensive end spots. Um, who who would you look at in this draft that the Rams could possibly target in the uh, third round or fourth round that could be a good uh, player that could get plugged in there? Maybe maybe not starting this year, but down the line could really develop into something uh, good for this defense as a three four defensive end. As a three four defensive end, okay, there there are a couple names. Um, I like Chris Warmly from Michigan. Okay, he's a tall guy. I'm not sure that he's he's better, or I'm not sure that he's worse than Taco Charlton. To be totally honest, like if you watch that Michigan defensive line, like. I, I can't for the life of me figure out why everyone loves Taco Charlton. Like, I understand he has a spin move, all that. He kind of looks good at the end of games. Like, big, he, he kind of stood out in big games, right, which is kind of how people trick him. Remember what I told you about NFL teams tricking themselves every single April? Uh, we ran into this problem with, who was it, Kevin Dodd last year from Clemson. Um, he was a guy who basically, like, he, <laughs> yeah. blew, he, blew, he, blew, he, he went against bad right tackles in big games. And that ended up basically vaulting his stock after in like a month, you know what I mean? As opposed to a, you know, a four year college career. Um, I, I kind of think that's kind of what's happening with Tarko Charlton a little bit. Cause you watch that, you watch that Michigan D line. They have, uh, I get Rashawn Gary, who's like the five-star first, you know, number one recruit last year played as a true freshman. I think Michigan just said that he basically, he had Von Miller's three cone and ran like a four, seven at like 290 pounds. So, do with that what you want. Like that's that's a dude who's going to be on first round radars. Uh, Chris Warmly uh, was a good guy. That's the guy who I'm talking about. You know, big end, right? Um, he, he's more. He's for sure a day. He's for sure a day two guy. Might even be like third, fourth round, mid round type of guy. Um, then they also have this kid Hurst, uh, 73. He's a defensive tackle. Um, he's probably going to be a top 100 pick next year. I don't know why he didn't declare in this draft, especially with this week. Uh, interior defensive line class. So when when people like talk of Charlton, I'm just kind of like spacing out, can't figure out why. Uh, Chris Wormley is one of the guys I would look at. Where was he out of? Michigan. Uh, he, yeah, yeah, Michigan. Those all oh. those guys are out of Michigan. They played. He, uh, he, he played. He, Wormley played everywhere. Though. Like Wormley, you, you there's tape of him like standing up rushing. There's tape of him playing nose tackle. He kind of was doing the same stuff that like Malik McDowell from Michigan State was doing, where he just kind of played everywhere. Hmm. And maybe, yeah, I was, you know, the only thing I could think of in that instance is that Michigan probably had so many guys declare that maybe the Harbaugh managed to talk one of them into sticking around, you know? Like, hey, we had a, we had a pretty damn good last, damn good year last year. Stick with us. Not only will I make you a first-round pick, but we'll win a title, you know? That's, that's my yeah. best guess on why players like that don't come out. Is they usually get talked into to 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 win in a national title like that's what's sold that in a first round pick because what other reason would you have to come back? <laughs> that's the, I can't. Uh, Michigan that. Michigan had like 12, 12 dudes at the scouting combine or something like that, right? So like yeah yeah they were loaded in in Washington. Like both of those teams, both of those teams were loaded with senior talent and good good luck next year. Like they they might have massive progression. <laughs> It's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. Did you have anything else, Mason? No, no, no. It's your, okay. it's your shot. Go for it. So I want to get into a, uh, a couple of questions here. So our first, let me get a couple of the joke questions out of the way. Sosa 
uh, who writes for the site, wanted to know, he says, ask Justice, if Kanye West was an NFL player, what position would he play? <laughs> uh, uh, cornerback. He talks a lot, right? I'd say receiver because he's a diva. <laughs> uh, you'd have to play like slot or something. That dude can't be more than five eight. Like. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I was thinking, yeah, about he's got to play. He's got to play something. <laughs> Kicker. <laughs> oh now, man. Now, Big Daddy, uh, our uh, Big Daddy Kevin, uh, Tevin wants to know. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why I read these people's tags on our Slack. Like, why do I do that to myself? Oh, Kevin man, wants to know, <laughs> which superhero movie are you looking forward to the most? Oh, man. Uh, that Power Rangers movie just came out. And, like, I'm a little 90s baby. I was born in 93. So, like, I'm, I'm, trying, to, I'm trying to get in on this Power Rangers action real quick. I agree with you. I love the Power Rangers. I, when the Power Rangers hit their peak... I was probably older than I should have been to like it, <laughs> but I hey, grew up. Everybody liking, liked them. Yeah, I grew up liking comics, and you couldn't tear my Voltron tape out of my hand. Like I would beat your ass if you tried to take that from me. So when you see like a real life version of Voltron, like I don't care how old I am, I'm gonna watch it. So uh, yeah, I, I actually heard that it got really good reviews too. So I'm kind of, there was a line, man, line, a line that went all the way around my theater. And that was on like Sunday evening. Oh, and I looked at my wife and I was like, what came out? And she's like, the Power Rangers. And I was like, damn, dude, and people are still forming that kind of a line. Look, man, you, you know how many how many like little 90s babies like realized that they yeah. like women when when they saw the Pink Power Rangers? Like, that, that <laughs> is in a lot of people. Amy fun. Joe Johnson? Uh, truth be told, <laughs> they, they had this Canadian show called uh, Flashpoint, I believe is what it was called. And it had her in it. It was about this response team that showed up like they're like a hostage negotiation team or whatever it was. It was a Canadian police procedural and she was on it. And I got all into it because she was still hot and still on it. So. I, I've uh, also heard really good things about the Power Rangers. So I will be checking that out. Yeah, I've heard a lot of good things about it. So. All right, so Brent Lancaster wants to know, who is the best L.A. quarterback, in your opinion? You've got UCLA, USC. I think this is a pretty damn easy question to answer, right? It's Phillip Rivers. Like, there's not much yeah. debate. <laughs> That's a layup. Um, I, I've seen <laughs> enough of uh, – of, I mean, Rosen was hurt, so you don't even really get, like, a good glimpse of who he is. But I've seen enough U, U, uh, USC stuff from just watching other guys – that like people who are talking about tanking for Sam Darnold next year, like that, don't listen to those people. Those people don't know what they're talking about right now. If if <laughs> Darnold Darnold is probably Darnold right now is probably a day three talent, but he's a really young guy. Like I'm not gonna judge him based off of what he's doing as a the redshirt uh, redshirt freshman. You know what I mean? But for people to just be banking on him developing from like a day three guy to a day one guy, you know, in the next. Uh, I mean, USC doesn't even have a months? buy next. USC has no buy on their schedule next year. Yeah, they lost. They lost their entire offensive line. 
<laughs> yeah, they well, they lost a good portion of it, but I'm not so sure that's a bad. Yeah, thing. I was gonna, I was gonna say I was like the three guys who I can name that I can't remember the little the little light left tackle Banner the right tackle and then yeah. Damian Mama those were the only the only offensive linemen who I could name and all three of those guys Wheeler yeah Wheeler who well he had his issues his final year then you had Damian Mama who I honestly don't ever think he lived up to his potential I still to this day think that Tolobendon was the best lineman of that class with him Diami Talamival and Damian Mama I think Tolobendon is the best offensive lineman that USC had in that class. Uh, Zach Banner is good, but I don't think he's like, I think it's going to take him time to get acclimated to the NFL level at his size. He already had to shave his hips to play at the college level. So I think it's going to take him some time. I honestly and truly believe that USC probably upgraded with some of those guys leaving because they have a host, an entire host of offensive line talent from previous classes that have just been waiting to play. So, so I got, I got to ask, I got to ask Josh, how do you feel about his Darnold comments? Aren't you a Darnold fan? I'm a Darnold fan, but I'm also a, like, dude, I have a master's degree. Like, I went to college. <laughs> like, like I, I, I know how to follow the scientific method and, and, and be logical. Like, <laughs> Darnold's done some impressive things, but so did Matt Barkley, right? Like, so did Cody <laughs> Kessler. Like, and while I think that Sam Darnold has maybe more athleticism than, than both those guys, and, and maybe there's a bit more Aaron Rodgers to his game. He's got a lot to prove. USC still lost every important game except for the one against Washington, So where they got to play the role of the underdog. So, you know, it, it's gonna. Sam Darnold's got to prove that he can win when it's expected of him to win. And it's going to be tough next year with USC having no buy, losing some of the talent that they lost. I don't think losing Adoree Jackson was honestly that big of a deal. I think he I is know, a corner. I think he is a cornerback as is. I'm not going to use the term overrated. I hate that term, but I would say I will. <laughs> I would say overrated. <laughs> I was going to say I was I, like. You don't have to say overrated, but you can say, like, small and get juked out by every single good receiver in this class. Right. I was going to say, there, yeah. was a, there was a stat going around, like, of the of the nine receivers that, like, Adoree was matched up against, like, seven of them put up multiple touchdown games against yeah. him. And, and it's just like... <laughs> You know, when you had, like, like, look, I know that kid made some fantastic plays and he did some things in the return game, but you know what? College teams are stupid, and, and real NFL teams will kick away from dangerous return guys, you know? Yeah. Like, and, and there are gunners yeah, on NFL the thing with, teams that have way more speed than Adoree does. Like, see, he's that's not the, that's the thing that I have the issue with him is, like, Every NFL team has a Will Fuller and a John Ross. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Exactly. Every NFL team has one of them. So when you're breaking your ankles against those guys, you know, multiple times, every single time that you face a speed receiver like that, and your one plus is is being the speed receiver, right? And you don't have that quick, that short line quickness. Uh, that's going to be a huge issue for a guy who's, you know, sub 5'11". 
you know, in the NFL. Yeah. Well, I, you, I, it, it, everyone, everyone knows that I haven't been high on him. I've said it a million times. I, I don't think he's a bad player. I think he has some tools, but I think um, I'm more interested in his, his returnability. Like on my on my top 100 big board, I had him in the 90s. So <laughs> I'm I'm not nearly as high as some people, but I think that uh, he's a probably a late fourth or excuse me, in my opinion, a late third, early fourth round type guy. And uh, without his return ability, he would drop lower than that. I just want you guys to know that the reason we're on this conversation right now is because you guys, as fans, opened up the door by asking about the best quarterback in L.A. That's how this stuff happens. <laughs> but, but no, Lone I mean, fans. To, to, to your original point, man, I'm USC guy, you know, and I, I've covered them, but I'm, I'm a realist, too. Like, I'm not going to defend what's indefensible, and I'm not going to say some guy's amazing when, hey, look, he's he's had some quality performances, but there's a lot to prove, man. Like, there's, there's still a lot of mountains to climb for some of these cats. Now, you want to talk to me about, like, Stevie T? I, I'll fight someone to the death on Stevie T. Uh, like I'll, I'll fight somebody. I think I think he would be underrated personally. If that if that makes like, you feel if, good, I th- if if someone were to say like I think Stevie T is crap, I'd be like we're stepping outside, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I love him. Uh, I actually I actually got to talk to him a little bit down in Mobile when I saw him at the Senior Bowl, and like he's like for a dude who transferred to USC for his you know fifth graduate year, like he's the most LA dude I've ever met. <laughs> I mean, hey, if you lived in Utah, and this is coming from a guy who lived in Utah for four years, if you lived in Utah for most of your life and you got the chance to live in L.A. for a year, wouldn't you absorb as much of that as you possibly could? Yeah, like, I I thought he was going to have, like, I started hearing him talk. He's saying, like, party, like, party and all the stuff like that. And I'm like, oh, damn, I was surprised. Like, I, I was surprised he didn't, like, walk up to me and, like, like Dom Kennedy music didn't like rain down from the heavens. He had like the LA Dodgers like <laughs> logo tattooed on his forehead. I was like, what the hell is going on here? So, uh, an easy question put in from one of our felicitous says, who's a good edge that we can play as a strong side linebacker. Who's also well-rounded in terms of a bit of pass rush, dropping back and run stuffs. And, and that you can get in the mid-rounds. Not that they're asking for the world, but, you know, just okay. just to put a gun to your head, go for it. Who's perfect <laughs> and available in the third round? Uh, name I'd go with is Vince Beagle. Um, if you have, if for whatever reason uh, you're able to access uh, Pro Football Focus's college <laughs> metrics, um, Vince Beagle is as productive as JJ Watt, or TJ Watt is uh, and are actually more productive on a personnel basis as a pass rusher. When you watch him as a run defender, he's about as good of a run defender as you're ever going to find in a 240-pounder. Uh, at the combine, he tested really athletically, but again, there's a guy named Watt <laughs> like from Wisconsin as a pass rusher. Like No one wants to talk about the other Wisconsin uh, pass rusher who has the exact same narrative as him. Um, if you look up T.J. Watt's uh, athletic measurements, He's literally a spitting image of Clay Matthews. Clay Matthews had four and a, or four, yeah, four sacks his senior year at USC. Vince Beagle had four and a half. 
But when you watch the games, he's generating a lot more pressure than he is getting home. Um, I think anyone who watches that Wisconsin defense and is aware of how that Wisconsin defense plays, uh, they're kind of like, you know, if you're honestly, if you're looking at a team like they they run a bunch of stunts and they play a bunch of man, like Wisconsin's like really high up there. Um, their defensive yeah. coordinator actually ended up getting the job with uh, U, uh, LSU before this season. And you saw LSU and Wisconsin just kind of run the same defense against each other in the opening week, which is kind of funny. Uh, but both well, that's because I mean, Dave they, Aranda, they, right? Yep. Yeah, Dave Aranda. They they uh they they kept they basically kept running the same defense once he left though. So that's a good thing. So like you see him dropping in the coverage. I mean, he's a fluid athlete. Um, he's kind of you know he's he's kind of he's kind of light in the pants, right? I mean, he's only two hundred and forty pounds, but he's he's definitely like you 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 kind of look at him and you're like. You can do enough as a pass rusher. The only problem is the weight. And I guess, you know, that was the same issue with, like, Clay Matthews coming out. It's like, you know what, you're a good pass rusher. You just don't have the production, and, you know, you're kind of light in the pants. But you can drop in the coverage. You can do all this. You're running all these stunts. Uh, the Packers kind of run that same type of defense. Don't capers, like, go balls to the wall and just kind of play man defense behind a bunch of stunts. I mean, they'll have B.J. Raji drop in a, you know, they'll have nose tackles drop in, in, into zones and blitz Charles Woodson and stuff like that, right? So I, I think that's those are kind of comparable – Defense is just across the board, and we've seen a guy like Clay Matthews kind of have the exact same narrative as Vince Beagle. The only difference is Vince Beagle has to compete with attention with a guy named Watt on his team. So he's not even being talked about as a top 100 pick. <laughs> Watt, is, Watt is one of my favorite players. I've, I've said a couple times now here on the show that if the Rams go defense in the first and Watt's hanging around there because I think he's going to go somewhere in the back of the first round, early second, and Watt's hanging around there, It'd be hard for me to turn that cheek. <laughs> he he actually legit. He reminds me a lot of Connor Barwin actually, like a young Connor Barwin. Because Connor Barwin was a guy who I think he was playing like he played basketball and tight end at Cincinnati. Ended up being a late transition. All that was like a freak athlete. And then he was a second round pick. And then you he had a couple. You know he's had a couple like double digit sack seasons. And then when he doesn't have the double digit sacks, he's still like you know he's still like an average starter. I think that's kind of like. That's what I would expect out of T.J. Watt at the next level, which is like the exact same narrative where he was on the offensive side of the ball, moves to defensively, comes out, he's a freak athlete, all that. So, Bate wants to know, he said, ask Justice if he thinks Aaron Ingram, who they've got a scheduled meeting with, the Rams do, seems like a good fit in this offense given how he played in college and the Rams' current core receivers. Um, well, I think Evan Ingram would be more of an H. I think if you're modeling that, that Rams offense, he'd basically be taking, uh, what's his name? Hendricks? Hendrickson? I can't remember his name. Higby? Trey uh, Hendrickson. Yeah, Trey Hendrickson. Trey, think, yeah, Trey Hendrickson. Oh. Yeah, he'd be taking his reps as, like, uh, that inline, that inline guy. He's also, like, the apex player in, like, trio sets, like, tight, tight trip sets, right? And he's kind of, like, that wing H-back tight end type of guy can line up in the backfield a little bit. Because Evan Ingram is a – Evan Ingram definitely is a pass catcher. He's not a receiver, but he can't block across the line like when he's that wing player either. So he's kind of a guy you kind of have to feed the ball to. He's very similar to like Jordan Reed. Just, just overall, this, this tight end class is extremely athletic, like stuff that we haven't ever seen before. Which is going to be interesting. Like I think a lot of the tight end questions are for not because – the Rams already spent two 
I mean, they got Tamara Hemingway and uh, Tyler Higby last year. I just don't see them with with as few picks as they have. I just don't see them spending it on 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 the tight end position when when we've all agreed like they need cornerbacks, they need wide receivers, they need offensive linemen, they need linebackers, they need edge rushers. Like we've. We've just listed like six positions, and I don't even think they. I think they only have like five picks. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah. Uh, uh, what was the? Uh, all right. So, what potential fourth round? This comes from Parker Brown. What potential fourth round prospect could be the of the best use slash fit for the Rams? Okay. Uh, I think that's Will Holden such will be a big question. I think will, Hol- will Holden, will Holden can kind of be. Uh, he's kind of mocked in that like fourth round range. That that offensive tackle out of Vanderbilt, who I think can pretty much he can play anywhere on the offensive line. Honestly, so I, I think he's a guy who could be interesting. I think if you're talking about, let me think. Hmm. I think a guy like Jaleel Johnson. He's being mocked in the third round. If he falls down, I think he's one of the few. Like def- like defensive ends three four, uh, three four ends that I would take a shot on in this draft. I mean, there's not that many just because you know there there are so many defensive linemen who declared last draft that the talent pool this year is just so thin. Um, I think if you're talking about pass rushers who could develop, I think a guy like uh, Dwayne Smoot would be an interesting guy, a kid out of Illinois. He kind of reminded me of Shaq Lawson coming out, but he just doesn't have the production. Um, didn't test exactly like Shaq Lawson did last year. Uh, he was kind of a guy who changed his weight up a little bit when Lovey Smith came into town and kind of installed that NFL-style defense. But he was a guy who had amazing production and tackles for losses and not for sacks. And uh, in my opinion, like tackles for losses should be treated more valuable than sacks just the way that sacks work, right? right? So like I've never really seen like a tackle for loss happen you know five seconds into a play because of hustle and effort in college like you you know like 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 sacks happen you know what i mean like sacks sacks can kind of be a tricky spot where tackles for losses i mean that's really happening in like two seconds and that shows explosion you know that shows that shows burst at the line of scrimmage those are things that matter you know in college football transitioning into the nfl game so I'm going to give you a chance to do uh, defend. Actually, I'll come back to that in a minute. Uh, one question that we got here was uh, uh, if pick 37 says take the best defensive player, if uh, player, can the Rams get offensive starters later on? Uh, I mean, this offensive, like, who okay? Who's like? No one can agree that any of these offensive players are, you know, good. Other than like Force Lamp, like you'll have people that are turned down, like Garrett Bowles, Cam Robinson in the first round. There are people who don't like OJ Howard's production. Corey Davis didn't run. Mike Williams can't run. John Ross has injury issues. You know, uh, Christian McCaffrey's kind of like a a smaller back. Dalvin Cook has off field issues. Leonard Fournette can he play? You know, in a shotgun you know, in a shotgun NFL, you know, Joel Mixon obviously has his, his issues. Um, you know, which no is crazy because Dalvin, 
Dalvin Cook's issues are like 50 times, not, like not that you can put them in a metric and say is one is worse than the other, but with like Joe Mixon, you've got that one pretty significant incident, but with Dalvin Cook, you've got like five pretty significant incidents. Well, see, th- that, that's one thing. That the difference is there's video footage of Joe Mixon, and that's what takes yeah. it to a grander scale. And I actually um, I put out a piece today on the site and I was saying five players that I would love to see in Horns next year, and Joe Mixon was one of them. And, um, man, you should see the comment section on that about the Joe Mixon thing. It's really torn because some people agree, some people don't, but no one disagrees because of talent or what he would do to the team. The people that disagree disagree because it's like, what? He hit a woman. You know, and it's, it's really interesting, you know, when you dive into that perspective because – you know, I've, I'm never saying that it's okay, and I'm, der- I'm definitely 100% against it. <laughs> you know, and I, I've, I've, I've gone into great detail on the site about what I think as far as him, as far as what he did. However, my argument still remains when you look at his rap sheet, that's the only blemish on it. And from everything that I've heard, they scouts have been all over the Oklahoma campus talking to everyone from coaches to teachers to even the students and every report on his character has came back glowing. So I, I, I personally am of the belief that it was a mistake. Mistakes happen, you know, terrible mistake, absolutely terrible mistake, but am I going to damn the kid to hell? Absolutely not. So it's, it's really, it's really torn on, um, should he be, you know, should he even be drafted by some, some teams even say, should we draft him at all? Some people say, well, should he be drafted before the fifth or sixth round? We're talking about a guy who, in my personal opinion, at least is a first round draft pick, <laughs> you know, talent production. He's a first round draft pick. And, you know, there's a lot of talk of, well, should he even be drafted before day three? So it's a, it's, I think he's probably one of the more interesting, probably the most polarizing player that's going to be in this draft. Absolutely. And I think, um, an interesting point, like, I don't, like, uh, I think you guys have kind of echoed the same thing, where it's like, no one wants to be in the business of, you know, compare, like comparing these things, right? Like, I don't think anyone wants to go into, like, levels of, like, hey, that was bad. Everyone knows that, like, hitting a woman's a bad thing. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah. I will say this. Like, I was saying in season about the Dalvin Cook issues, and not to the point where I'm really, like, chastising Dalvin Cook or anything like that, but I know how NFL scouts work. And the fact that people don't understand that, like, the fifth incident at FSU was Dalvin Cook getting in trouble, and then the team had to take two team photos, one with him and one without him. The fact uh-huh. that the coaching staff thought enough of that where they were like, he could have done it even though, like, people could talk about the idea of, the idea of, like, you know, innocent until proven guilty and things like that, right? At the end of the day, what the NFL cares about, because they don't, they don't really care about these players at the, to this extent, right? So, like, Oklahoma, um, when a player gets in trouble, they go to the coach, right? In the NFL, when a player gets in trouble, you, like, the, they deflect just like, hey, you got to talk to their agent about that. You know what I mean? Like, there's really no level of accountability to that point. What NFL coaches care about is, are you going to get in trouble while you're still under contract with me, right? Where you can see situations like Aaron Hernandez, things like that, where cap situations can get messed up because of what you do off the field, and that ends up hurting them more than just like, hey, he's released, he's a bad person, right? Um, when you look at what Dalvin Cook is, his while you know while this case was happening, uh, Florida State staff, I mean, 
they thought enough of him to say, like, yeah, he might have done it. We're not going to have him in the team photo, but we're also going to have him in the team photo in case he is innocent. And the fact that, like, that issue, you know, that, that they thought that way, you know, that's going to, you know, that sparks conversations with the scouts. Where they're like, wait, hold up. And that's, we got to talk about this one real fast. And that will, and that's to speak nothing of the investigative process and criminal justice system and the way it works in Tallahassee either. Like, you know, I, 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 I'm not saying that not guilty or, 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 or whatever the case, like, but I'm, I, I'm generally pretty leery of anything that comes out of Tallahassee when it, when it concerns the criminal justice side of things. Like they just, they don't have the most convincing track record of placing the criminal justice portion ahead of the football portion. And I understand right. it, it, it's not, it's not even so much of that, right? It's like, uh, to, to me, it really is like, okay, these coaches know these kids better than anyone else. Right. And it's not even so much like a pattern, things like that. You're trying to limit off field concerns while they're on the clock with you. Right. And that, that, I mean, by their actions, right? Like Florida state staff isn't going to come out until a scout, you know what I mean? Like, he's not going to be like, yeah, don't draft this guy who is a first round pick. Like that does them absolutely no good at all. But you can tell by their actions. Like that's the thing is whenever there are microphones around, don't trust a damn person for football, like head coach, general manager, any college coach, an NFL scout, anything. Don't trust anyone when there's a microphone around because they have an incentive to say things, right? Judge them by their actions. And their actions were, I don't know if Dalvin Cook's a good person, and that should be a concern. Yeah. That's that's kind of my thing with him. Is My, my, my big thing with – the one thing I can say about Joe Mixon is that he got walked out, did his time in the stockades, kept his head low, went to the grind – and actually produced on the football field and and has stayed out of trouble since then, Dalvin Cook continuously finds himself in trouble. And if you're a team, say, like the Miami Dolphins, you go, do we want to risk putting this guy in Miami, a party city, and trust that he can keep to himself? And not that you can't get the same co- Kind of trouble in Not Cincinnati. to mention, that's his hometown, so there's a lot of influences. Oh, I didn't even think about that. But, you know, yeah. LA, LA, same way. It's it's almost like if, if, if Dalvin Cook needs to be drafted into the right situation because this kid is already, I mean, it's been since 2014 since he's got in trouble, but... He's got all the signs of a guy who gets to the league and then troubles himself right back out. And that's 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 the entire argument that I make with Joe Mixon on why I would take a chance because he had his incident. It was the it's literally the only blemish on his on his record. And then you have other, but it's because it caught it was caught on camera. I honestly believe that if it wasn't caught on camera, we probably either wouldn't be having this conversation right now, or it wouldn't be to this extent. Well, I would hope we'd still be having this conversation. It would. That's why I was like, yeah, it probably <laughs> would, be, wouldn't be to this extent. You know, <laughs> like it wouldn't be to the extent that it is of um, because, like, like, you, like we said, you know, Dalvin Cook is still being talked about as a top twenty pick. 
you know, his his track record is full of blemishes, you know, right. and that's not the case with Joe Mixon. But again, the video that's it's, it changes everything, you know, and then when you look at the NFL, you look at Ray Rice, he had the video Josh Brown didn't, and the both the two situations were handled completely different. Now both of them eventually was ran out of the NFL, but it was handled completely different because of the video evidence. There was a longer, slower process. Josh Brown still was collecting game checks, things like that, because there was no video. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. Oh, speaking of Joe Mixon, as I say this, Joe Mixon's attorneys, this just came across the wire. Uh, Joe Mixon's attorney schedule April depositions of assault witness and police officer who interviewed victim. Case set for trial on 9-12. So, there you go. There's the latest on Joe Mixon. Uh, I'm going to give you, Justice, a chance to defend yourself against some horrific slander that's been levied at you. Uh, most notably by Frank Acker, and I probably uh, deserve it. Whatever it is, that's that, that's probably true and fair. But I, but they people think I don't stand up for him. So let it be known that I'm a man of the people. Uh, Frank Acker and Gary Vaughn's uh, Frank Gary Vaughn said in, in today's session of mean tweets, I think I will skip it. Another round of why they hate the Rams and Goff with diagrams. <laughs> uh, I knew that's the one you were talking about. <laughs> uh, and then let's see if I can find Mr. Acker, who came at it with with a uh, he came with the thunder, man. I was I was kind of impressed. Uh, here we go. Why? All he does is talk shit. Why would you want him on? Because Justice <laughs> watches tons of film, knows draft prospects, uh, and provides an unbiased viewpoint. Pretty simple why we'd want him on. Uh, biased, yes, but also negative. Perhaps he's not being negative. Perhaps he's just stating what we don't want to hear. Possibly, but how can you bash a guy like Goff who had one year in a trash offense? Well, he was pretty bad. Uh, all I'm saying is, is every tweet I've ever come across from him has been negative toward the Rams. So, Justice, admit it. Admit I like Robert Quinn. I like Robert Quinn. It. I'm a big Aaron Donald fan. Admit it here and now. You you hate the Rams and have an effigy of the Rams that you burn on a nightly basis <laughs> prior to going to bed, right? No. like that, That's what people have me wrong. Like, Look... I want the best for Rams fans. That's the problem. I think I think that like this golf this golf shit is already like sank. Like it, it's clear on film. Like it, it doesn't make sense. You look at the stats. It does like okay. So this is the thing. As people say, we'll we'll dissect this this question like one by one because I've had to fight like I don't know what I can't. I don't play video games like that. I've seen people play video games though. Whatever game it is with like the Nazi zombies and they just like keep coming and they just keep coming and they just keep coming. Like if people had any well, issue with like, can the LA can the LA Rams you know put together a fan base in a year? Like I have an entire fan base in my mentions at all times, talking trying to get me <laughs> trying to bait me into golf talk. All right, so. You can go by the numbers, right? The numbers suggest when you use any of these advanced analytics, you know, like anything adjusted by like era adjusted 
you know, air yards adjusted, right? Jared Goff had one of, like, the five worst seasons in NFL history last year, okay? Um, none of those players ended up turning anything around. Uh, really, the only guys who did were guys like Matt Stafford, uh, any guys in his range, right? Like, even, like, anywhere in his spectrum were guys like Matt Stafford, who, like Goff, played in a really bad, on a really bad team his first year in the league, right? But the problem with that is Stafford had an absolute gun. Goff doesn't have that. The big plus on Goff coming out was that Goff was the intelligent guy who could who could put the ball wherever it needed to be, right? Here's the problem. When you watch on film, there's a huge difference between Pac-12 defenses and NFL defenses. If you watch NFL games, you'll notice almost every single defense is playing single high, okay? What that means is you're putting a body into the box, okay? So you put a body into the box. Let's call it nickel. Every NFL team basically runs nickel. You're talking about nickel, it's single high. That that in itself is seven players, right? So you have seven players, then you have four players who are basically hovering over the skill players who aren't the running backs, right? So you have a guy over your two outside receivers, uh, you know, up to two other outside receivers or tight ends. Okay? So that's fairly simple. So no matter what you're gonna see in a single high defense is six guys in the box, a nickel defense, right? The issue with, with this is that that's six gaps and six defenders. So in the NFL, basically what they're trying to make you do is you have to make high-level passes on the outside, and you have to diagnose the inside of a defense, right? You have to realize, you know, of those six defenders, which four are going to need to get picked up, you know, which five they're blitzing, whatever, right? The issue with Goff is at California, the Pac-12 doesn't play that game. They don't play single high. You know, in, in Pac-12, go watch any team in the Big 12. Go watch any team in the Pac-12. Every single one of those teams is running quarters on the back end. You know, they're playing two high safeties. What does that mean? Okay, that means you're pulling a guy out of the box. You have a five-man box. That was Jared Goff doing. So instead of really going against what you're seeing in the NFL, what he's doing is he optioning, like, though you'd call them overhang players, right? The guys who are covering, like, slot guys, guys who are covering, like, tight ends. That's when you're running all these POs and things like that. Well, that's fine in the five-man box, right? That's totally fine. But the problem with what they're doing is if you're trying to build a team around running with Todd Gurley, you know, you're adding people to the box. You're adding people to the box. You're adding people to the box. So if you're running with two tight ends, right, now they end up having, instead of running against a five-man box, right, like you would see in college football, where you have five linemen, they have five defenders who are covering six gaps, right? Now you're playing, like, what would that be? it would end up being eight defenders against eight gaps with seven blockers. So it's a totally different game in the NFL. Um, the problem is Goff can't really diagnose these plays. Like halfway through Miami was his first game, right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. yeah. So half, yeah, halfway, halfway through the Miami game, you can see Miami was like, Oh, he can't really recognize edge pressure. So I go on through, He's going through. They start being edge pressure. He can't stop it. So they just keep going, keep going, keep going, right? Then uh, the next game with New Orleans, they start setting inside pressure, right? Like, hey, man, he can't, he can't diagnose inside pressure or outside pressure when there's this many numbers in the spot. Then I think the game after that was the Patriots, and the Patriots just end up start, like sending like, like their slot corners from the wide side of the field who take 20 yards to get to the quarterback, and they're getting sacks off of that. Like, Goff just can't. He was good at reading a five-man box, and now that there's like eight bodies in there or seven bodies in there, 
he's just totally lost and he has no idea how to, you know, no idea what to do. Um, and really there's nothing stopping. Like the reason that you would not blitz, right. Is you think you're going to get beat by a receiver down the sideline. Okay. Uh, I watched all of Jared Goff's throws last year and really he only had two good passes. He had that touchdown against New Orleans and then he had a touchdown, uh, down the right sideline. I can't remember who it was against, but it ended up getting called back. And it, it was a dime. Like that, that should be on a highlight reel somewhere. Um, but those were the only two passes out of over 200 passes where he really threatened the defense and made them pay for blitzing. That's a massive issue because, like I was saying in the beginning, right, it's like six gaps, you know, they're, they're, basically you're playing single high, you have a defender assigned to every single gap on the field, right? Well, blitzing isn't just a passing thing. Like anyone who's played, like, there's things called run blitzes, right? And basically what you're doing is instead of, like, having a linebacker read something or anything like that, right? You're just shooting gaps. You can be wild aggressive. And that's basically, that's really why Todd Gurley had a bad year last year. It's because teams like you watch the Arizona game and the Arizona game is nonstop blitzes from the moment that, you know, you know, the moment they kicked off to the moment they blew, they blew the whistle. And I don't know what you do against that. Cause if he's not making you pay for the blitz, cause he can't diagnose things quickly, right? He can't do go. He can't replace the blitz with the ball, like in a snap, right? It's a team built around running the ball, but they have to be in the shotgun for him to pass and spread everything out to get the boxes that they want to look right. And he can't throw deep. Like I don't know if he can't, but he's not. He's at least not going to it often enough, right, to make defenses pay. So it's like this whole ecology around it, where basically if you're going under center at any point, they're just going to stop you. Period. Like that. That's just a bad spot for him to be in. So I really don't understand how this works. And on top of that, right, like no no quarterback has ever bounced back from as bad of a season as he had last season. I think people seem to think that, that like, this podcast is nothing but hate from golf. And I just want to explain <laughs> something. Like, there's – well, let, well they, I, I just got to explain something. There's two schools of thought here, okay? If you were a guy who was really, really pro-golf – and you really like golf and, and think, okay, this guy is something spectacular. <clears throat> I'm completely behind him. Then, you know, all right, cool. You, you, have your, you have your point of view. That's totally fine. But I just want to say, if you're a guy that was not a fan of the Rams giving up what they gave up because of what you think golf is – it's not that you hate Goff or you hate the Rams, okay? Well, it might be that you hate Goff, but it's definitely not that you hate the Rams. If anything, you feel like a head coach maybe fell in love with something, fell in love with, the, with what he thought was a diamond and it's actually a cubic zirconia. Like... <laughs> I've watched so much golf having covered the Pac-12 that, like Justice mentioned, if you look at, like, the Pac-12 defenses that were able to disguise blitzes and bring creative pressures like Utah, and I've mentioned this, Utah, USC, Stanford. Yeah, because he, he, he had that, like, five-interception game against Utah or something like that. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's my point. And, and these are signs. These are signs, and these are the reasons why you're like, okay, it's not that I – look, I'm not going to say that this kid cannot succeed. 
for the sake of the Rams, for the sake of him, I genuinely hope that he does. Because, well, frankly, it would mean that the Rams are in the playoffs. Like, it would be better for everybody if he succeeded. It would certainly make my job easier. Right, like, I, I had I had Jared Goff as a top 20 player. I think he was, he was my QB, two behind Paxton Lynch. I had him above Carson Wentz and other people who even were like, Cook's better than him. I don't know if I would go that far, but I was a big fan <laughs> of Jared Goff. And, like like I said, I was a in Tony Franklin system up here. Um, I've coached in this, I've coached spread offenses up in Oregon where everyone wants to pretend to be Chip Kelly. I understand what these offenses are trying to do. Uh, Jared Goff played in the Tony Franklin system. I mean, you don't have to go anywhere further than, okay, go on draft breakdown right now. Okay, go on draft breakdown if you're listening to this and you're, and you're hesitant on what I'm saying. Um, there are games of Patrick Mahomes who plays in the air raid system. He's probably going to be a first round pick and Davis Webb who played at Cal, uh, you know, after, uh, Jared Goff, he transferred from Texas tech to California. Um, go watch their games and go see what's going on with them. Cause, uh, it, it's basically the same system. Look at the defenses that they're playing against and look at the defenses that Jared Goff is playing against. I can send you guys like a gift thread of when I went, when, uh, I watched every single snap that Jared Goff took because people were saying that I was just citing stats and things like that. So I went back and watched the film. Um, those, those guys are going against two high defenses. You know, that, that's a guy you're taking out of the box. Jared Goff, he's playing against single high defenses now. That's a totally different game. Um, in college football, they'll give you the underneath stuff, right? Because they're like, hey, maybe, maybe our best path of victory is forcing, you know, an air raid quarterback to throw speed outs up and down you know, up and down the entire field because he'll miss one. You know, he's not Tom Brady. In the NFL, you can't give up the short stuff because Tom Brady will just take you all the way down. Davis Webb and, you know, Pat Mahomes aren't those guys. So that's how defenses treat them. That's why the NFL defenses are way different than college defenses. Um, it, it's really like night and day what you see on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, it really is, and, 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 and I do hope that Goff succeeds, but I just want to explain why if you have concerns and you talk to him about them with other experts, like, look, we're either going to be wrong or we're going to be right, because if Goff has another year this year like he did last year, it's going to be very hard for the Rams in, in a league where it's like, man, you need like two extremely awful years and, and I can see the Rams moving off of him. Like that's this is, you know, NFL stands for not for long. And when when we say that Goff was bad last year, I don't think people fully grasp what that means. Like, so, like, Jared Goff, I can, I can explain this a little bit. Watch the first drives of LA Rams games because, play, like, I don't, I don't know how much people know about, like, how play calls work, but your first drive or two are scripted throws. There are plays where he's missing wide open speed outs on the first play of the game when they've, you know, they've ran that script, you know, ten times in practice, and he's missing plays that are wide open that they ran 10 times and planned the entire week. This is the first play that we're running today. You know what I mean? And he's missing those. Like, I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not sure I've ever really seen that. Um, another point that I make is, like I said, a lot of people are like, you know, you're only giving him a year. if He only had seven starts, things like that. Right. Um, if you go back and, and I actually did this, I could send this to you guys too. I don't know if you guys are posting this or what, um, but I could send you 
what every first-round quarterback prospect looked like 200 passes into his NFL career over the past decade, okay? Um, really, basically, if you look at yards per attempt, which Goff is bad at, and interception percentage, <laughs> which Goff is bad at, um, you can, you can, if you look at those two stats by, your, by themselves, you can tell exactly what a quarterback is going to be 200 passes into his career. And there's really no exceptions, like, at all. Like, basically... You can you can tell what what are, like you can tell what trajectory a quarterback is going to be on in 200 passes. I mean, it's 200 reps. You know what I mean? It's not like you know this, this isn't like you know a, a low rep position. Like you're getting the ball every single play. People know what you're going to look like. Um, no quarterbacks really improve like that. Uh, I know people have said like Peyton Manning and things like that, and his interceptions, all things. But like uh, if you like error adjust and like you look at his touchdowns and things like that, it's like not even close. Um, I would say there's kind of like a narrative of like sit and wait and let them develop and all sorts of things like that. In the past decade, there's been five quarterbacks who were drafted in the first round who didn't know at least 200 attempts as a rookie. It's Brady Quinn, Jamarcus Russell, Jake Locker, Johnny Manziel, and Paxton Lynch. And like people aren't even calling for Paxton Lynch to start next year, even though, you know, the team, you know, allegedly is flirting with, you know, Tony Romo, which would push Paxton Lynch to a third quarterback spot, right? So Quinn, Russell, Locker, Manziel, Lynch, um, none of those guys have really made it. Like this whole narrative that you got to sit and develop is kind of like, that's not really how this works. And no one really, no one really develops. Like your starting point will tell you where your trajectory is going. There's no massive developments that we've seen in the past decade of NFL football. That's just not what this era of football is. And people talk about like Aaron Rodgers and, and Drew Brees and things like that. And like how they were able to develop and things like that. It's like, Aaron, Aaron Rodgers was, you know, he was, you, you know, people flirted with him as like a first overall pick, and he came out in his first game against Dallas and lit up the scoreboard. You know what I mean? Uh, Drew Brees had a a shoulder a shoulder surgery that went that for some reason made him from a weak arm quarterback to one of the strongest arms in the sport, right? So it's like those aren't realistic things unless like. You know, Jared Goff is about to... The hell it's not realistic. Apparently, you've never seen Rookie of the Year, the documentary about the <laughs> young Cubs pitcher who had surgery and was able to throw over 100. I suggest you check it out, sir. Those are facts. <laughs> yeah, now, yeah. See, that's me being a hater, right? <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, like you were saying, I mean, the, you've got two guys... Who 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 were able to turn this thing around? Uh, uh, following it's over a, over a decade ago, right? Like, again, over a decade ago. And and if you look at what the type of football that was played then versus now, I mean, it's almost night and day. I mean, people people forget just how quickly the game evolves, and it's like. That's why there's people who are just not high on Jared Goff because, like, look, this is a this is a league where you get about two to three seasons and then you're out. If you don't get the job done in that time frame, they're going to find somebody who's out. Jared Goff's already had his one season. Now, he's got to go out there and improve. Now, fortunately for him, they brought in this young mind in Sean McVay who's had success with young quarterbacks so we'll see we'll see right right what? but like okay let's let's talk about that washington offense right that washington offense tight end heavy um like you you see where they talk about like vernon davis and jordan reed right so mm-hmm. you're gonna have two tight ends on the field 
you you figure every single gap of that is going to be accounted for if you're playing a single high defense, right? So if you're playing a single high defense from outside D gap to other outside D gap, that's eight defenders. And that's the issue that Goff has is he's able to read a five man box. He's not able to read and diagnose blitzes from an eight man box, get the ball out quick or, and he's not able to test down the sideline, you know, or at least he's not willing to test down the sideline. Like there have been throws. Like I said, there, there are two really high level throws that he threw last year. Uh, there's some stuff going back to college, but he's just not confident with it at all anymore. So I don't know what to do with that. So go ahead, Mike. Yeah. All right. So I was just going to say like, after the season, I I wrote an article and I basically broke down um, Jared Goff's seven starts. Now there was a lot of <laughs> it, the the comment section turned into hell as as Rams Nation is pretty much split on Jared Goff. Now with me, I don't necessarily ever try to um, I don't ever say oh you know he should be you know, traded or we need to get rid of him or start looking because again, it's only been seven starts and just off of investment alone. You know, the Rams don't have a first round pick this year. They don't have, they're missing a third. They should have another third round pick. You have um, to gave up two. You're you, <laughs> you know, they're, 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 they're so invested in him just on investment alone. You can't get rid of them. But then again, it's also still only seven games. Now, me, uh, like you said, I, I never hated golf or anything like that. I actually was felt very confident of calling him a first-round uh, pick as a quarterback. I had Carson Wentz ahead of him, but he was my second-rated quarterback. And the synopsis that I had on him was that he's going to take some development. There's no plug-and-play with him. I didn't think that he should have played at all as a rookie, no matter what the circumstances was. I felt like he should not have played. But the biggest knock on him that I have, and everyone's you because the number one excuse is the offense sucked. Okay, yes, I will give you that. The offense was terrible. And play calling was some of the worst I've seen. However, Case Keenum played in the exact same offense as Jared Goff. Case Keenum averaged 244 yards per game. Jared Goff averaged 155. Okay? I would still go as far as to say, this offense had more talent and was better overall than the offense Sam Bradford saw in his rookie season. And Sam Bradford's rookie season blew Jared Goff out of the water. Even if you break it down to just seven games or extended averages of his of Jared Goff's seven games over the course of 16 games, it doesn't even come close to what Sam Bradford did and on his way to winning rookie of the year. So when when people say that he had a terrible offense. Yes, that's true. But if you are, if you have the talent to improve the players around you, even a little bit, you'll see those flashes. And that was the thing that was alarming is that you didn't see those flashes. And uh, maybe it's because he was thrown in there too early. Like I said, I never thought he should have been playing uh, that, that much and that early to begin with. But so maybe that is the case, but at the end of the day, that excuse is a little jaded to me because like I said, that he and he and Case Keenum played in the exact same offense with the exact same players. Nothing changed, not even the coordinator. And Case Keenum threw for sixty-one percent completion. Jerry Goff was fifty-four percent. You know, Case Keenum had um, almost seven yards per attempt. Jerry Goff had five point three. You know, so it's it's a right. huge difference. It's not even remotely and, close. And it's not just. And, it's not just the passing game either, too. So, like, really, like football, football should be looked. As like an ecosystem, right? Where it's like, if if these don't exist, right? Like, there's some things that are gonna fall down 
that aren't just bees. Like you can't just take the bees out of it. Right. So like yeah. how you check the checks and balances of how you treat defenses, um, like even in the passing game affect running game on first down. Like if a guy can't throw through a blitz, all defenses are going to do is, is blitz on, on rundowns. Cause you have an, you have more of an advantage run blitzing than you do pass blitzing. Like, I don't, I don't think people really understand that. Cause if you're run blitzing, you're just like, you're shooting a guy through a gap and then you're just going to, you know, you have a gap shut down instantly. Right. The problem is if you get caught in a blitz versus a pass, right. That thing can go into the open field, but that's just not happening. So like, I see a lot of things like where people talk about, you know, the offensive line sucks. How much of the offensive line and pass protection, their offensive line really isn't that bad in pass protection. I, like the run, the run game is a totally different thing, and you know a lot of that has to do with the fact that you can't throw through a blitz, so they're setting blitzes the entire time. You know you have a guy assigned to every single gap. There's literally no gap open. You know you have to pass to set it to. You have to pass to set up uh, the run. Like that's just a fact um, against single high defenses, right? Uh, but like th- there's just there's no way for you to succeed in the NFL if you cannot make teams pay for blitzing in the run game or in the pass game. And with Goff at quarterback, that's just not possible, especially with Goff under center. Like, I really think that Goff's best chance to succeed is like, go, go, you know, go into four wide, like literally go into four wide every single play. But then if you do that, then you basically just give up, you know, the idea of Todd Gurley making any sort of impact for you on the offensive side of the ball. And that is, that's been my number one complaint since the season is how do you incorporate a system with a back who's not very good at playing from the gun because Ty Gurley, right. he doesn't have shiftiness. He, he, he doesn't have lateral ability. He's a downhill runner. He, we're getting him going sideline to sideline is never a good idea. <laughs> and then you yeah. have a quarterback that needs the gun. So how do you make those two work? That's been the question I've been asking a lot, and I feel like it's starting to pop up every week. <laughs> yeah, see, that's one thing that I think people are underrating about like this era of football where people talk about People, you always hear about nickel defenses, right? You hear about nickel defenses, nickel defenses, nickel defenses. That's all that matters. That's the base in the NFL. No one ever talks about, no, like people started realizing this with Adrian Peterson. I think there's like, there's kind of this like wave around Adrian Peterson where people are talking about how he runs under center, how he runs in the gun. Um, I don't think that's an Adrian Peterson problem, man. Like that's a structural offense thing. Like it's easier to run under center than it is to run out of the shotgun. You know, you as a former running back can probably talk about that more than me. Um, but like, so that, that's an issue I have with like guys coming out in this draft, like Leonard Fournette, right? When you talk about Leonard Fournette and yeah, he's a, he's a downhill, powerful runner, this and that, you know, he's got breakaway speed. If you can get everything blocked, blocked up for him. Problem is you're going to have to get everything blocked up for him, you know, under center. And in the NFL, if your team's running, you know, if your team's in the gun 65% of the time, like everyone is league-wide, you know, if the team's passing 65% of the time, like every, like everyone in the league is, like the conversation about you as a running back should start with, with what you can do on third down in the shotgun. Like that's yes. where it should work. That's where it should start, and then it works back from there. And that's the opposite of how we treat it. And that's like a total reversal. Of, like it's just very weird where you see guys like Todd Gurley and you see guys like Leonard Fournette, and you're like, well, I can build a, I can build an offense that will make your stats look good, and you'll be a really good fantasy player. Or I could build an offense that's built to win in 2017. And the fact that those two things are different is something that the NFL has never really had to deal with. 
Yeah, that couldn't that couldn't be more true, man. And I, that's a very eloquent way of putting it. Um, well, listen, man, we've been at it for quite a while, and I'm I'm fresh <laughs> out of crap to come up to 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 bug you about. So, what I'd like to do uh, is I'd like to take a moment and give you the opportunity to talk about not only where people can find you on social media. But also uh, any projects, articles, or content that you have upcoming or that you've recently written and you want to draw attention to, man. Pretty much the floor is yours. Use it however you'd like. <laughs> All right. Well, you can follow me on Twitter if you don't have me blocked already. At uh, J-U-M-O-S-Q, the Jumosk. Um, follow me there. Follow the podcast at Setting Edge. Uh, go subscribe to uh, my podcast. Uh, the setting edge or setting the edge uh, podcast on iTunes, five star reviews only. You guys will probably believe a bunch of one star reviews. That's fine with me. We'll take that in stride. Um, <laughs> trying to think of what else. Uh, NFL 1000 project. Uh, we're doing uh, pre-draft stuff. I mean, follow me if you guys want draft coverage. I basically tweet through the entire draft cycle. Um, I think the Los Angeles Rams draft needs pieces already up on Bleacher Report. Uh, I'm not sure if it isn't already. It's going up this week. So uh, go ahead and check that out. Like I said, uh, subscribe to Setting the Edge Podcast. Five-star reviews only. Uh, Peer pressure your friends. It works. Oh, we'll be peer pressuring the hell out of our friends. And for us, you can find me on Twitter at FightOnTwist, where lately I tweet about comics more than anything else because let's just face it, dude, comics are better than reality at this point, man. Reality is kind of wonky, though Tony Stark is a war criminal. Um, Moving on from that, you can find our producer on Twitter at SportsSpeaks, like he speaks or she speaks. Uh, you can find Mycin on Twitter at Mighty or Mycin. And you can follow the site. Uh, and this is also goes for uh, Facebook and any other type of gram chat, snap, twist, all that garbage. It's at Turf Show Times. We are SB Nation's home for the Los Angeles Rams. Justice, man, we can't thank you enough for taking time out of your day. Uh, Before I go, I want to ask you, just because I've got my own personal curiosity. Okay. How would you, like, who are your top five? Like, not necessarily who should go in what order because you, you may account for team need. But who are your top five, these are the five best players in college football right now coming into uh, the 2017 season? Uh, my big boy right now, number one's Miles Garrett. Or, uh, wait, wait, coming into the 2017 season? Or yeah, coming, coming into in. 2017 draft? No, coming into the 2017 season. Oh, wow. Okay. Um. All right, let me think about this one. This one's a little bit harder. Uh, Lamar Jackson out of Louisville, I think. I'm a, I'm a big believer in him. Um, he's not going to be your, like, quote-unquote, traditional-style quarterback, but I think if he can land with someone like Lynn in San Diego, or I guess Los Angeles now, who coached up Tyrod Taylor at Buffalo, I think he could be an amazing fit and a guy that he could mold behind Philip Rivers. Um, 
Let me think of other. Who are some guys who went back? Like, I'm not even totally sure. I think the kid from Houston, hey. the defensive tackle, like he, he's going to end up being a, like a top three pick, but I think he's only, he's only going to be a true sophomore coming into this next season. What's up, Mason? I would definitely say, I would definitely say that because um, I was really, really wondering if he was going to come out this year. He's somebody that um, as, as I get the scouting going for next year's draft that you're going to hear me talking about a lot. But Kalen Balage from Arizona State, I love this kid. Um, yeah, the running a, back. He's crazy. He's, yeah, he's in a wide open share on the, in the backfield, so you don't see you, you don't see the, um, the 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 stats in one category reflecting how good he really is. But just as a runner receiver, the ability is unbelievable, and he's like six three two forty. But he's probably the fastest person on that yeah. team. <laughs> he reminds me <laughs> of a bigger, faster version of Le'Veon Bell, like. Kid is very impressive. <laughs> yeah, I, I like yeah, him a lot. He's crazy. Um, yeah, you got you just got my mind going now. So he's crazy. I think guys at LSU is actually better than Fournette. He moves so like I've never seen a guy look so similar to like what Ezekiel Elliott looks like right now. Like he he really is almost like a spinning image of him. I know a lot of guys would probably talk about like Saquon Barkley. I'm not as big of a fan of him hey. as uh as, as those two. I think <laughs> I think guys is a good bit better. Um, I'm interested to I mean, see how Ronald Jones the second rebounds. He had a he had a quality freshman campaign and and a decent uh, uh, sophomore season, but uh, I, I want to see how how he does in the junior year when when all eyes are on him and it's and it's his show. Yeah, that'll be crazy for sure. I think I think uh, I don't know, man. He 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 might he might go ahead of Darnold. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, you may. But let me give you the easier question here. Who do you think are your top five 2017 players in the upcoming draft? You have Miles Garrett, number one overall. Yep. Who's number two through five? Uh, I'd have uh, Marshawn Lattimore, number two, out of Ohio State. Um, okay. Dude, this track down corner, period. Like, yep. like he, he, you, you can make the case that he might be the best player at his position you know, in the like relative to his position in the class, like he might be a better cornerback than Miles Garrett as a pass rusher, but just pass rushers just mean so much more. Um, Solomon Thomas, Stanford is number three for me. Um, he's a guy who kind of played inside. He projects outside. I mean, this is a dude who has the athleticism of a pass rusher and as a true freshman was starting, you know, games for Stanford as a nose tackle. And people are using that as a knock, which is crazy to me. Like if, if you're hard enough that you're playing nose tackle as like, a true as a as a redshirt freshman, and you're starting every single game for Stanford, and that was on the Stanford line when they had like three rotational bodies in their three four. So he was never coming off the field. Like that's that's not a knock. This guy's good. He can bend. You know, he's totally mm-hmm. fine. Athletically, he's just in Houston. He played nose tackle at a power five school. So I'm totally fine with that. Um, number four would be Malik Hooker out of Ohio State. Second second of three Ohio State defensive backs in my top five. Um, you know, Luke Fickle just doesn't get enough credit, man. Like Luke Fickle, and, no. and they keep like, they pump out those cornerbacks like it's nothing. Like last year, it was Eli Apple and uh, God damn, who might Von Bell? Von like, Bell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's ridiculous, dude. It's ridiculous yeah. how 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 good they. What's What's amazing to me. Is that Ohio? Like I can honestly not think of a position that Ohio State like sucks at. Quarterback. 
If you're comparing it to what you want them to do at the pro level, yes. But in the college yeah, yeah. level, they're actually the really good. Level, yeah, <laughs> even even when even like, dude, like they, they suck so much at quarterback that their third stringer, like their third yeah, the stringer, had half had run. half the nation having a foolish conversation about should he come out after winning the national title, like. Way to go, guys! You guys, you guys wasted up at least two months worth of airtime on that conversation, and you all look <laughs> I want my money back, every last one of you. But, but the, the, those defensive backs at Ohio State, man, like they don't get enough credit for how good they are. Right now, they are DBU. Like right now, at this moment, there is no better school than Ohio State when it comes to churning out secondary players. Dude, it's crazy because, like, okay, so Latim, I don't, I don't know who I would compare Lattimore to, right? But Lattimore is an extremely like he, he's, he, like, there's very little that he can't do as a cornerback, right? Then you look at Malik Hooker; he's middle of the field safety. I mean, he's probably the best middle of the field safety that we've seen come out since Earl Thomas. And then they're, they you know, the quote unquote other defensive back is Gary and Conley, who's basically a better version of Casey Hayward. Like the moment he steps on a football field, so I have like. That, that's an insane amount of talent. Like, it's crazy. Like, that offense really couldn't get going, and people were wondering, like, how did Ohio State make it to the playoffs? And, you know, like, you, you watch these players individually, and you're like, man, no one's even talking about Raekwon. Like, right now, no one's talking about Raekwon. Raekwon McMillan, Raekwon McMillan, McMillan dude. Uh, he's a top 50 it's, linebacker. Like, yeah. It's crazy he's, that he's, he's like a footnote. Hmm. You know, Ohio right. State probably has four defensive ends who are going to get drafted. Uh, their four-string defensive end almost declared for this past draft. And then they have, like, Sam Hubbard, the other Bosa, and then uh, Taekwon Lewis ahead of him. So, like, this Ohio State team is just crazy loaded. That, it's as close to Bama as we're going to get. And it's the just, crazy thing is Bama is getting Jonathan Allen and Reuben Foster and O.J. Howe. Like, they get these guys to come back. Ohio State is just plug and play, plug and play, plug and play. Yeah, like, if they don't, they don't, like, Nick Saban can pretty much convince whoever he wants to come back. Like, he's kind of ruthless with it, save, save for a couple people like Amari Cooper and, and, and things like that. There's obvious guys that are just, you know, go on, get out of here, go get your paycheck. But Urban Meyer's sort of like that John Calipari, like, come here. I'll get you ready. Like I'm kind of astonished that USC won a recruiting battle for with Porter Gustin against Ohio State. Like I, I kind of really am. And and in you hindsight, don't... I feel like Porter Gustin. Like I don't know, dude. <laughs> There's always going to be that question in the back of his head, man. Like, what if I went to Ohio State? Because <laughs> Meyer, dude, he just wins, man. He just wins and wins and wins and doesn't stop winning. Even when he has bad teams, they end up being stupid good. Like it's just it it's 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 something else, man. He and Nick Saban yeah. are just an embarrassment of riches. You know, before before we uh before we go get out of here, because something just kind of stood out to me. You guys unanimously agree that Miles Garrett was the number one player in the draft, and I do not agree. He's not even in my top ten. <laughs> I think that Miles Garrett is overrated. Yeah, I would say he's overrated. 
Well, everybody has an opinion. He's going to end up looking right, and we're all going to look like dumbasses in like two years. Yeah, probably. <laughs> hey, look, 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 man. I, uh, I've, I've, I've had my hits and I've had my misses, but uh, I understand when you've just got about a feeling about a player that everyone thinks is going to be amazing, and you're just like, dude. What? What? Are, no, no. What are you? Thinking? Well, it's it's not even that. It's just a feeling. It's what I'm seeing, and I'm just like, yeah, he's a freak. And I've been saying this even for a while now. Yeah, he's a freak. But he reminds me so much of Jadavion Clowney. And for the record, I'm not saying this because of what Jadavion Clowney has done this so far this year, which I think this past season for him was way overhyped. He didn't really blow me away. He had a better season. But his pressures wasn't really as high as you would want the number one overall pick to be. He only had six and a half sacks. So it wasn't like he blew the blew the roof off, but whatever. <laughs> but I said before Jadavion Clowney was picked that he wasn't my favorite player in the draft. In fact, I think I had him ranked like number 20, somewhere around us. Like I have Miles Garrett somewhere around the same range on my big board. Um, I thought that year that my top two players was Khalil Mack and Aaron Donald. But <laughs> so I'm not crazy about right. uh, so we, prob- we probably will end up looking like dumbasses then because those those guys ended up being okay <laughs> well, I mean, it, and that's just my opinion for what it's worth as I stood out as I, as I went through Derek Carr's pro day and stood outside his house uh, watching teams pass over him I, I, I knew, we knew day two because the, the, the teams that sent I knew it was going to be the Raiders because the t- the two teams that sent the, the 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 largest delegations to his pro day were we actually almost ran over North Turner, but uh, the two teams that sent the largest delegations were Minnesota and the Oakland Raiders. And when Minnesota went with Teddy Bridgewater in the first round, which is where we thought Derek could possibly go if he were going to sneak into the first round. Uh, I was like, okay, it's gonna be the Raiders, and 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 I just had this feeling. I was like, you know what? A lot of teams are gonna base all their play against Derek Carr, or all their opinions of Derek Carr on his brother, and they're not yeah. gonna pay attention to the fact that this guy's been calling plays at the line of scrimmage basically since he was a freshman. And he's only gotten better at it, and ba- you know, basically calls his own plays throughout the entire season and diagnosis like a lot of teams are going to come to regret this and sure enough i feel okay about the fact that he's thrashing a large amount of ass in oakland <laughs> well i was very high on him coming out um i still don't know how the hell johnny menzel go yes i do the browns but <laughs> it doesn't yeah, make sense that you you... Had... if Derek carr had gone to the browns he'd been crap dude like he'd have been worse than <laughs> that's my theory like, I, I think if you just, if you end up with, like, we're going to win over Ohio State by Cleveland by talking about how great Ohio State is, and now we're going to lose half of them by talking about how crappy <laughs> Like, if you end up in Cleveland, my theory is, like, you've done something, you've committed some crime against humanity. Like, that's 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 my theory. So... Uh, and that's for the Browns, not not the you know the, the state of Cleveland. But if you end up in Cleveland, no, you I, you could you could say the city, the city. No, if you live in the city of Cleveland, you're you're serving your time. 
<laughs> you serve in your time. <laughs> but, you know, uh, I will say this, though. Right now, there's a lot to like about what Cleveland is doing. I like the way that they're... they're hey. I, have, I, have, I have no idea. Hey, I have no idea how they're going to spend those picks. But I can tell you this right now. I can think of 31 GMs that would love to be in Cleveland's position right now. Well, yeah, but there's 31 GMs who are well. Maybe let me let me not say that. That'd be a stretch. But there's probably 30 GMs <laughs> that's better than theirs. But look, here's the thing: when you talk about can Cleveland, I, can we, I please take a When you talk about the Browns, and you rhyme with Wes and his last name rhyme with. <laughs> no, that's just that's just me giving the benefit of the doubt that somebody out there is better <laughs> or worse. Okay, I mean, here's, here's why I say that you are the Browns. Your issue has for the longest has been quarterback. Uh, I think the Browns have had somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 quarterbacks or something like that since 2001 start a game for them or or excuse me, since uh, 1999 that start a game for them. That's a lot. Um, and it, it leaves the NFL by a wide margin. Um and then you here you are at the top of the draft. You have Carson Wentz and you have uh, Jared Goff. And you, you just have your pick of quarterbacks to pick from, and you trade down. That just doesn't make sense to me. And I mean, me personally, I thought Carson Wentz was the top quarterback in the the draft. And you know, they they just gave they just gave up the opportunity to go get their guy. And not that I don't like Cody Kessler. I know I've talked about him a lot, how much I actually do like him and how much I liked him coming out. But there's no way in hell I'm banking on taking a quarterback in the third, fourth round over the over one of the top quarterbacks in the draft when that's been my biggest issue for for too long, for 15, 16 years. You know, that's a long time to be struggling just, with the same I position. I think Cleveland didn't feel like either of those guys were worth worth it then even if you look at them now i don't most agree projections most projections right now don't even have cleveland burning a first round pick on the quarterback like they all have them the taking miles garrett and then grabbing patrick mahomes unless i'm missing well, yeah something. i think but i also don't think that any quarterback in this draft is better well i don't think any quarterback in this but draft you is think, better but you think last year's draft you think last year's draft was was lit? Like, I don't know. I I, I just don't. I I can understand why Cleveland might not be sure on Carson Wentz. The reason why I say I'm not sure if uh if I understand why they would trade down, and because it's like it's like you just said, you look at what they're doing. Well, that's been them for the last like three or four years now, dating dating back to the Johnny Menzel year. They collect picks. <laughs> That's what they do. But they haven't really cashed in on any of them. You know, so they're collecting a lot of picks. Okay, whoop-de-doo, but what are you doing with them? Um, I mean, that's a lot of picks they've had over the last four years. A lot of premium picks at that. They, they're consistently having two first-round picks. I mean, I don't know if anyone else has noticed this, but they're regularly <laughs> yeah. popping up with two <laughs> first-round picks. <laughs> now that you mention it. I kind of have noticed that. Like, and here's they have a lot of first round picks, you know. So it's it's like you're you're collecting all these first round picks. You're trading now, and it's sad because the reason they're getting so many first round picks is because they keep ending up with a pick in the top three, and they trade down and get another first round pick. So it's like 
how do you ever expect to get out of the top three if you're not going after one of the top three players eventually? You know, so I'm not I don't I'm not crazy about the idea that it was more that it was just the fact that they didn't see the quarterback being worth it as it was. Hey, let's get more picks. <laughs> yeah, so maybe, we'll maybe. see how this pays off. <laughs> <laughs> have, have, have ye any thoughts, Justice? I mean, I, I kind of side with you guys on this point. Like, you guys were talking about Cleveland being cursed earlier, and that's pretty much where I stand with that one. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> that's the video on YouTube, the factory of, uh, what is it? <laughs> the factory of Cleveland or something? Oh, uh, what is the name? It's the, yeah, the factory of sadness. Thank you. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's Best right. Best video I've seen last sad. year. <laughs> uh We've just lost all our listeners in Ohio, even the ones that hate Cleveland. <laughs> <laughs> well, man, Justice, we can't thank you enough for taking time out of your day to join us. And I think that's going to do it for us. So we're just going to all go ahead and sign off here. Uh, again, you can catch us uh, on iTunes. Subscribe there. Or you can uh, – the show will be up on the site at Turf Show Times. Uh, or uh, turfshowtimes.com rather, not at turfshowtimes. But uh, do please go uh, go give his podcast. Go after you subscribe to ours on iTunes, type in setting the edge and then subscribe to that. Like, do it simultaneously. <laughs> And it'll yeah, and 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 it and and it will it will temporarily give you mutant powers that you will not <laughs> be able to use at all, but you'll have them secretly in your head. So, with that, we are out of here. Thanks for listening, and thanks again to Blog Talk Radio for sponsoring us. We are SB Nation's home for the Los Angeles Rams. Turf Show Times. We will catch you next week. My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form the, the Shutdown, Shutdown Fullcast. I keep telling you, we're not Fultron. The Shutdown Fullcast is technically a college football podcast, but it's also a show about lawn care disasters, regional grocery stores we love, Tennessee Batman, homeowners associations. Bears and video games. I mean, there's also some actual football discussion, like about coaches having huge contracts or coaches making terrible decisions or coaches saying really stupid things. Or the NCAA saying really stupid things. Yeah, there's lots of stupid things in this big, dumb, beautiful sport. Sometimes we talk about football games. Allegedly. If you want to take college football exactly as seriously as it deserves to be taken, come find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts like this one. The Shutdown Fullcast. It's not Voltron.